Hello and welcome to episode 166 of Travel Stories from the Back Again and Gone podcast, back to being recorded in the beautiful home office of Chateau Relaxo, Florida. And tonight, it's an episode dedicated to travel randomness. Thanks for listening. Hello, if you are a new listener, welcome. If you are a returning listener, welcome back. And tonight I am partaking in somewhat drink local out of the Cigar City Brewing out of Tampa, Florida, about 90 minutes west of here, is a Fancy Papers Hazy IPA coming in at 6.5 APV. In case you've been on a deserted island, the airline mask mandate has been extended until, drumroll please, May 3rd, 2022. And if you haven't followed the adventures of the mask mandate, here are the cliff notes. The original ban was through September 14th of 2021. Then it was extended until January 18th of 2022. Then March 18th of 2022. Then April 18th of 2022. And finally, the federal mask mandate has been extended another two weeks until May 3rd, 2022. And I heard someone say recently, that we've moved away from a collective responsibility to a personal responsibility phase of the pandemic. Talk about the proverbial can of worms. That statement is the perfect example. Spend any amount of time out in the wild or out in the world and you will witness people's personal responsibility being very subjective. I'm not much of a betting man, but I'm willing to bet that the mask mandate will again be extended And one of the main reasons is that there isn't a collective mask mandate across the world. It seems like that each and every country offers up their own individualized plan. There's no cohesiveness, and it's just going to make it very tough for everybody to follow. If you plan to head to Florida, then who isn't for summer travel? Here is a tip worth sharing. If you didn't know this, Florida has an abundance of toll roads. And those toll roads can be expensive, and they're even more expensive if you are in a rental car. And that's due to the convenience fee imposed by the rental car companies. And I've seen daily convenience fees for each day of the rental, even if you don't use a toll road. And I've also seen the convenience fee imposed each day that you do use a toll road. And speaking of toll roads, have you ever known a toll road to be finally paid off and they remove the toll boost. The only one that I am aware of is the 400 corridor that passes through Buckhead up into the northern part of Georgia. But in Florida here, I use an easy pass. And at some point I was smart enough to purchase an easy pass that mounts to my windshield with suction cups. At the time, the reason was that I flipped my car about every 36 months and it would be easier just to remove the transponder to a new vehicle rather than trying to remember to scrape the old pass off the windshield when I turned the car in. Little did I know though that the easy pass is accepted in 19 states and most of those states are states that I travel through. So now part of my routine is that when I park at the airport, I remove my easy pass transponder from the window, throw it into my laptop bag and I have it ready for my rental cars. So if you have an easy pass and if you do travel, remember to take it off the windshield and take it with you. If you don't have an easy pass, there's another solution when you arrive in Orlando. You can pick up what they now call the visitor toll pass at the O-Town Airport. Four very easy steps, download the app, reserve your visitor toll pass, pick up your pass at the Orlando International Airport, 
hang the visitor toll pass on the rental vehicle's rearview mirror, and then return your visitor toll pass to the Orlando airport when you're flying out. Some of the big benefits, you can save up to 80% on tolls. It's completely free to use. It guarantees that you're always paying the lowest toll rate throughout Florida. And Florida does do a toll by plate, but they do charge you a higher rate if you don't have a sun pass or an easy pass. There is one catch. You must return the visitor toll pass hang tag at the conclusion of your trip, or you get to pay a $10 fee. But even if you forget to return the hang tag, it's still cheaper than paying the daily rental car convenience fee. So if you're coming to Florida, if you're going to rent a car, if you don't have an easy pass that you can take with you, do not be subjected to the charges from the rental car company. Make your reservation to get your visitor toll pass at the O-Town International Airport. From the Who Knew department, I give you five nude beaches in the United States. First, Hallover Beach, Florida, and I knew about this one from growing up in South Florida. On the upside, if you get tired of all the Florida nudity, you'll be near the Hallover Inlet where you can watch boat captains try and navigate their vessels out into the ocean, which honestly is a lot more entertaining than watching naked bodies roasting in the sun. Next is Black's Beach, California, which requires a bit of a hike to access. Not sure if you have to hike in clothed or you just leave everything in the car and go birthday suit. And how about Gunnison Beach, New Jersey? Yes, New Jersey has a nude beach. Like I said, who knew? If you're in Hawaii, you can let it all hang out in Little Beach, located in Maui. Finishing up the list with Collins Beach, Oregon. Yes, Oregon. And I can tell you that I never once considered that Oregon residents would ever want to visit the beach, much less a nude beach, but apparently they do have one. And here's how I typically sum up things like nudist colonies and nude beaches. None of the people that are there are typically the type of people that you really want to see naked. So if a nudist beach isn't on your summer destination travel list, what is? And how do you make that summer vacation process more, more enjoyable? Number one, you need to begin booking summer travel right now. Airfare is not going to get any cheaper in the next four weeks unless you stumble across some random sale that just so happens to have a fare for where you want to go to. Home rentals and hotels will quickly book up and rental cars will also quickly be booking up as well. But here's a few additional tips to help with summer travel. My first piece of advice is to avoid selecting mega popular destinations. Yes, probably you won't win father of the year with that advice, but I don't want to spend my downtime with lots of randos. I know that there are people out there that love the grind of waiting in long lines, that love being sunburnt, and love having that vacation experience the same way that everybody else does. First, I would do some research. We all have the internet. Otherwise, you probably wouldn't be listening to this show. Make sure you fully understand where you're headed to. If it's the southeast, it's going to be hot. If it's Florida, more than likely it will rain at some point during the day. So pack a poncho, not an umbrella, and don't plan out every moment of the day. I've talked about this before, but the CEO and I have had more fun taking quick side trips during our travels than having anything that's truly structured. And typically for me, I don't plan family travel during busy times. Think Memorial Day, July 4th, and the week before the kiddos were returned back to school. So you get the point. 
One of my favorite sites is Make Use Of, and I found this over there. It was 10 pieces of tech you really don't need anymore. And while it's not travel related specifically, it, a lot of us carry a lot of technical gear with us, so I'm gonna work that into it. Here are a few of the highlights. Pay phones or calling cards, and pay phones, I can't remember the last time I saw one. And if I did find one, I doubt I'd have two or three quarters, however much it costs to make a call in my pocket. And the same goes for calling cards. I was once issued one several decades ago, and I'm sure it's in a drawer someplace, but I can't truly remember the last time I used it. But calling cards were the great cost savings when you traveled, as they allowed you to avoid the hotel surcharge added to your bill when you connected your laptop's 56K modem in order to access your email. Pagers in the early 1990s was how we conducted business. This was long before texting, so communication was done using only numbers and not alpha characters. And most of us had perfected a series of numeric codes to get our messages across. Think emojis, but without the graphics, of course, if somebody texted you or, or hit you on your page with 911, it was call me back immediately. 411, I have a question. Uh, if you got a message on your pager that was 831, that stood for I love you. Eight characters, three words, one meaning. Yes, we were creative in the 90s to say the least. Portable music players. I started out with a Sony Walkman, the yellow one. I think it was in the late 80s. That soon became the Sony Discman, and that morphed into a separate MP3 player. Now all of those devices are contained in my phone as I subscribe to Spotify and Pandora and Apple Music. How about floppy disks and CDs? I think my last computer with a floppy disk drive was the year 2000. And after that, I went to two CD read-write drives so I could burn one CD or copy one to another so that I would have a quote-unquote backup for archive. And uh, none of the laptops, I think, here at Chateau Relaxo have a CD drive in them. But when the entrepreneur recently moved out, he did leave us with a USB external CD drive just for old times' sakes. Now, this was an interesting one from View from the Wing. A reader asked, does a hotel owe you compensation when your room's alarm goes off during the night? And they're talking about the alarm clock, not the actual fire alarm. And so the author, Gary Leaf, his response was, this one seems easy to me. The hotel is responsible. And he posted a couple reasons. The uh, first one was the fundamental thing you were buying from a hotel is a safe, comfortable night's sleep and a place to shower in the morning. He went on to say a basic responsibility for the decent hotel would be to check out the bedside alarm clock to make sure it's not turned on as part of their room turning process between guests. If they fail to do that, and the result is if you aren't able to get the comfortable night's sleep you purchase, then they haven't earned their money. In all my years of travel, I think this has happened to me at most twice, and neither time did I consider asking for compensation for the interruption of my sleep from the hotel. And earlier I mentioned personal responsibility, and this is the perfect example of just that. Do people really expect housekeeping to verify that every clock's alarm is set to off? Most times I verify that the alarm's set to off and then typically I unplug the alarm clock because I don't need it. My smartphone wakes me up in the morning and this frees up at least one additional receptacle on the bedside table 
for charging all of the other life-saving devices that I travel with. And then in addition to that, last year, Marriott was considering moving alarm clocks from hotel rooms altogether. Here's a side note, Marriott, be prepared. More than likely, someone will want compensation for oversleeping since there wasn't an alarm clock to wake them up. One of my other favorite sites, Lifehacker, posted how to create the ultimate travel spreadsheet and why you need one. So first, I love data and I love organization. So immediately I thought this would hold one or two new nuggets. And the post started out strong with, why do you need the ultimate travel spreadsheet? It's got the word ultimate in it, so it's gotta be valuable, right? Well, the first thing was accessibility. You always have access to your itinerary via your phone. Now I can tell you from personal experience, viewing a spreadsheet on a smartphone is brutal, especially if there are multiple tabs. They went on to say collaborating and sharing makes sense. If it's an Office 365 or a Google Sheet, it can easily be shared. Built-in templates. I'm a big fan of templates. If I don't have to recreate something, it's right up my alley. And then finishing up with adaptability. As plans change, you can edit the spreadsheet on the go and everybody has access to it. But here's where they lost me creating tabs. So if you don't know the spreadsheet, you can have multiple tabs. Think of it as chapters in a book. They suggested a tab for general overview itinerary, another tab for a detailed master itinerary, all the information in one place links to different tabs, a tab for a packing list, a tab for transportation, a tab for lodging, a tab for budget, another tab for day-by-day itineraries, and then finally one last tab for fun stuff, restaurants, nightlife, ideas, etc. There are many, many, many people out there that enjoy planning a vacation more than taking the actual vacation itself. If that's you, then this eight-tab pivot table wannabe spreadsheet might be right up your alley, but it's not from here. Here's my take on travel planning, more specifically vacation or pleasure travel planning. Is go to Evernote.com, create a free Evernote account, download the desktop client as well as the plugin for the web browser of your choice. Open up Evernote, create an Evernote notebook for your next trip, create multiple notebooks for multiple trips. Step two, while you're browsing and you come across something that looks like it might pertain to an upcoming trip, use the Evernote web clipper to store it in the correct notebook. You can even add tags to the clips if you want. Step three is time approaches and you begin to book travel, open up that Evernote notebook, and then you'll see all your cool ideas and destinations are in one place. And you can even share the notebook with others so they can contribute their own notes, links, ideas, whatever. And then when it comes to managing itineraries, TripIt does it better than anyone. And I. Again, the free version of TripIt works absolutely perfectly. I think I've used TripIt going on eight or nine years. There is a paid version that catalogs and keeps track of all your hotel points. I've never really found any great value in it. But TripIt monitors your email inbox and has the intelligence built in to build a travel itinerary based on email subject lines. And the best part is that you don't have to put in any information. Now, what I do is I actually have a separate Gmail account just for travel, so that way it's not pulling in everything from Outlook and and my other Gmail account as well. And also, again, you can easily share your TripIt information with others. 
So sorry, big spreadsheet. I think my method suits me perfectly. Finishing up this episode with a little bit of inspiration from Huffington Post, how to get rid of post-vacation blues. Fortunately, I've never experienced this, and after reading their suggestions, I have an idea why. But also, thankfully, I have a job that I love. I work with a great group of people, so it's rare that I finish up my Sundays dreading Monday morning. But their first thing that they said, unpack your suitcase when you get home. I do this before every trip. This way, if toiletries need to be replaced, I can tell my Alexa to add something to the shopping list. They suggest bring home a souvenir you can use in daily life. My office is decorated with things that I found while traveling. Seek out meals you tried while traveling. How about Nashville hot chicken or some Savannah shrimp and grits? We've done both. But before the internet became so prevalent, I would oftentimes buy local cookbooks while traveling. You could also use that downtime after the post-vacation to plan your next trip. Do some of the vacation activities in your everyday life. This is somewhat in the reverse for us as there are times we'll, we'll do everyday activities while traveling, such as fishing, such as geocaching, such as finding little free libraries, attending cooking schools. So for us, instead of finding something new on vacation to do back at home, we actually take some of the things we do at home out on vacation with us. Explore your hometown. I've often said there's so much just an hour or two from where all of us live. And since relocating to Central Florida, we've done some sort of a day trip or an overnight trip almost every single month. And then wrapping it up with share some memories. Well, first, no one wants to look at 47 pictures on your smartphone of your latest trip. But you can share them using sites like Flickr. You can create a Google folder that can be shared out. You could create your own website. You might even want to create your own podcast if there's people that might have some interest in what you're doing. So since I'm already doing most of the items on this list, I think that's one of the reasons that I do not suffer from post-vacation blues. Well, that's it for this episode of Travel Randomness. Next episode in the queue is the April Crazy Travel Roundup. Look for that in a couple weeks. If you want detailed show notes, links, and pictures, head over to podpage.com slash travel hyphen stories. Leave me a message at Anchor. Shoot me an email, travelfrick at gmail.com. That's travelfrick at gmail.com. As I always say, travel safe, stay safe, and thanks for listening. Thank you.